Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Lee Vickery. Lee is with Legal to Legal. But more importantly, she's a fellow Texan. So that, of course, makes her a star. But that's not the only reason I ask her to come on the podcast. She's got some really interesting professional background. And more importantly, for the compliance practitioner, I think Legal to Legal has some managed solutions that not only should be considered by the compliance professional in the compliance profession, but also bring a lot of innovation to both legal and compliance. So Lee, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, one fellow Texan to another. So you are not a lawyer, and you have a very different professional background that I'm fascinated to hear about and how that got you to legal to legal. So could you share with the audience a little bit about your professional background? Sure, I'm happy to. It made me smile to thank you for appreciating my eclectic background. But I will say first, you also made me smile. The company is called Level to Legal, but everybody calls us Legal to Legal, which I love that you did that actually, because we're in the middle of a rebranding for the reason of what you just did. (laughs) So you actually just gave me great data that It is so easy to call us legal to legal, and maybe that should be our name to tell you the truth. But anyway, I will say I arrived here almost three years ago, and on paper, which I always think about the world and people on paper and reality, and on paper, you would think, how on earth are you in e-discovery and law not even close in the background? I took the LSAT and did well on it, but then didn't go, went on to graduate school in English and psychology. But I think if you knew me better and you kind of knew how I think and how I like to approach life in just problem solving and seeing niches that are not being met, needs that are not being met, I think across patterns, I think very holistically, and I love people. My heart has to be in everything I do or I don't do well at it. But those driving forces have never changed or those just causes, as Simon Sinek would say, have never changed. And so that almost shows you a pattern of, well, let's see, when I was in second grade, we'll start with my professional life, $5 a week, because my mother could not get our lunches made for all four of us correctly. And so I was like, there's a need here, mom, let me handle this. So I don't have to eat ham every day. But more realistically, every job I've had after I finished my studies was in at EDS in Dallas, you know, Ross Perot's company. I was there when the internet first came to be. And so I have watched and been a part of, I was in their creative group there, but been a part of helping organizations get to the next level, helping businesses, starting my own business because I love cooking. I love food. I love people. And I love figuring out, okay, there's not X product. I won't do a plug for the other company that I run, but there's something missing in the market for an all natural queso. I don't mind going ahead and saying queso. And so, you know, I started that company because I didn't want to eat Velveeta and now it's grown. We're in Costco and Whole Foods and I love people's reaction. It's a combination. So all of the businesses I've been involved with have had those things in common. And the people of level two, I've known since my early 20s, the founders and, and some of the founding employees, I believe in them. I love what they're doing. I love how they're doing it. And they just needed some help getting to 
building the infrastructure and kind of seeing across that bridge to get to the next level. So it actually, in my world, they all make sense, my jobs. But on paper, it's like, oh, wait, cheese. Oh, wait, business, psychology, English, writing, journalism, you know. But I love helping people solve problems and kind of seeing a big picture and the patterns and processes across a business or an industry. So now that I now correctly know the name, even though I haven't written down on my notes correctly. No, 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 no problem. It really makes me laugh that you did that. So, What is the business of legal to legal? And more importantly, what's the role of a chief strategy innovation officer in that company? All right. If I were to just say, what is the business of level two legal? I would approach it from how I just described earlier. We're problem solvers, and I'll get more technical here in a minute. But, you know, the thing that drives us are those just causes of working hard, getting things done right, helping clients kind of get to the next level, hence level two, I think, legal. But our tagline is yours to count on. And so if you just can keep that in the back of your mind, that how we approach everything is being that company, that person, that project manager that our clients can count on for the long game, as you noticed in my blog, how I like to talk about that. Now, how that manifests itself now is in e-discovery, compliance, investigations, solving legal problems, or helping our clients understand how those legal issues affect their business outcomes, really. you know. And I know you've addressed that a lot in your podcast as well, but you can't really separate them anymore. And so because we understand data and we understand the value of those processes across, you know, we're one of the lucky ones that can see in our clients, we're seeing in every department because we're doing projects that they don't see the, you want to be careful that your litigator is not producing something that HR would not want you to. And you'd be surprised how often, especially now in the privacy world, those things aren't necessarily thought of. And so that's what we do. We solve problems in those main areas. We don't have any interest in just becoming all things to all people, but there's a certain kind of client we want that that we align with, that understands our values and kind of relationship and whatever those problems are as the legal industry changes as it is right in front of us now, we work really hard to stay nimble to be able to help them. We're not one night stand people. That's how we always laugh and say we're very much long-term you know, relationship builders as a company. My title, I'm not a title person. And so it's hard for me to say, okay, what does that title mean? The same approach. I would tell you this. I like to help our CEO think. I like to help the company think ahead. As one of the people who did not go to law school, very few of us in the company, that gives me the freedom to approach problem solving in different ways that they all, you're an attorney. And so I appreciate how risk averse you are and I appreciate the way that lawyers think. But when you're trying to be nimble and flexible in a business in this crazy world, I feel like my benefit, at least for now, is to help them say, well, why? Why not? Well, why? Well, what could go wrong? I mean, let's just try it. You know, failure is not that big of a deal. And I don't mind saying I don't know the answer, but we've built the company in such a way that we're really able to innovate. And that takes CEO commitment, money. It takes collaboration and the willingness to, I don't want to say fail fast, but change direction quickly and be okay with it. And so my job is to drive those initiatives as hard as I can, you know, and keep us always looking for around the corner, what's coming, and probably maybe even most importantly, tell you the truth, Tom, is seeing holistically, being able to see across the patterns and what's going on and always say, if this, then that. If we do this, then this is going to happen. Kind of that 
second level thinking that lawyers don't necessarily have time to even, you know, think that way. So it's a good mix for now. So I was very intrigued by that, Lee, because particularly your thoughts around or comments rather around that your company is so heavily populated by lawyers and you being a non-lawyer bring a different perspective and a different way to not only think through a problem, but also think through innovation. In the compliance arena, we have that same issue because most compliance officers, myself included, got to that role from the general counsel's office. So I'm a lawyer, did the lawyer thing, and then went over to compliance. And you're also absolutely right. As a lawyer in a general counsel's office and as a general counsel, you're there to protect the company, period. End of statement. In compliance, you're there to prevent, detect, and most importantly, remediate Problems. Problems can be violations of your code of conduct. Problems can be violations of policies or problems can be legal violations. Remedying a legal violation is antithetical to what a general counsel does. They want to protect the company from it. And so what I'm striving to do in this podcast is really bring innovative ideas to the compliance professional who are once again largely lawyers. So your background fits exactly into what I'm trying to do here. Great. Oh, great. Well, as much as I can help or give suggestions or anything at all, I'd love to be a part of that. I'll be honest, your willingness to have me on here tells me a lot about you and your depth and your shared desire to learn, do better. You are keeping a company in mind. Me too. I'm not, it's not just a playground. I understand the the business outcomes, the risk our clients and know it has to be buttoned up perfectly and do understand that as well. But to continue to grow and to thrive and to my goodness, I mean, whether it's opportunity or a crisis that can disrupt you overnight, you have to have someone thinking differently. It, a company. I'm involved in an executive coaching group and I'm the only woman in the group. And and not only that, I'm the only one with a non-traditional business background. That's one of my you know, big soapboxes is they don't know what to do with me at first, like questioning traditional paths of business. But now we're all close and we value each other more. And I would say having somebody around the table that can help you think differently, not put you at risk, but the freedom to try things that can improve the company is very valuable in a compliance situation because at the end of the day, you're talking about human error, ethics, you know, human decision-making. That's how you got there. And that's the pain of the general counsel you're trying to solve. It is transactional. It is business. It's regulatory. But I think because of the way I think, I can keep the psychology and the behavioral economics and why are people doing what they're doing element to drive those business decisions. Does that make sense? The outcomes that they need are very human. Those are humans that you're investigating <laughs> and predicting. And I also like to talk about that a little bit. With technology now, you're able to predict a lot more than just necessarily remediate. It's not perfect, but we're getting better at using AI, using behavioral economics, using data and using lawyers to be able to see kind of this whole picture of what this plan might want to look like beyond just, oh, hey, we organize your data. This is how the hotspots you need to be looking for. And it's kind of a, it's a different approach, but it works when you're in a relationship. If you trusted me over time, we can get there. And I don't mean just me, but 
the company. But you have to provide good work too. I mean, if we mess up, then no, that wouldn't that wouldn't work. So, what would you say the difference between a traditional law firm approach and level to legals kind of managed services approach? You know, I'm just going to be me. We are humble, and that's a huge thing in a company like ours versus a law firm. We are there to help them look good. We want them to win their case. We have no, and that's like a really important thing, actually, to understand your role. And so how we offer our services are completely designed to enable them to do what they need to do better, but to help them predict where they're going to have a problem so that they can focus on, okay, we need to change the strategy, the value of this case, or ways to help them save costs, of course. But I would say our approach is more, it is more innovative. It's more creative. I'll just throw this in. We hire very strongly for critical thinking skills. I mean, you don't get hired unless you pass some assessments. And it's kind of that holistic way of thinking and Renaissance lawyer approach that can help a law firm see beyond just, okay, this is my case and I have to produce on this date. And they just can't see the needle in the haystack sometime. And so our approach is more it's highly relational, Tom, 24-7, responsiveness. And we know that our job is to help them look good. We can be the workhorses for a law firm. Sometimes that's what we are, period. They've got a privacy strategy and we're implementing it. And we're the boots on the ground. And then sometimes, you know, we're deep in the strategy and analytics of coming up with an approach. So very collaborative. One of our project managers said something that stays with me in that they want to practice law, but they don't like conflict. So the people that we end up hiring are people that just don't fit in a traditional hierarchical dog-eat-dog law firm approach. And so it's quite collaborative when you remove that piece of it, but still very much devoted to the pure practice of law. So let me turn to a blog post you wrote because it ties in, obviously, to what we're all going through right now with the coronavirus health crisis. And the blog post is entitled Law in the Time of Corona. Yes. I was making a play on words on a novel I read, Love in the Time of Cholera, but no one picked up on that. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's okay. a little reference for me. That's okay. I just thought I'd throw it in for that one person out there that's read it. So, okay. There we go. But you said that this series of events, uh, this time, could be the catalyst to force law to play the long game. And you said that same phrase earlier in our podcast, play the long game. How, first of all, what is law playing the long game? But more importantly, how is level to legal playing that long game and help driving that conversation? Oh, sure. I love that question. And so have you heard of like finite games and infinite games. It, you can intuitively figure out, you know, a finite game has a start and a stop, a score. A football game is a finite game. An infinite game, for example, would be hopefully a marriage. Not mine, actually, but the idea was for it to be infinite. And there shouldn't be a winner or a loser. It should be playing for that long game. It's a whole different approach. And a finite games within an infinite game are fine. But paying attention to how companies and law firms approach the game of life, I sound now philosophical, but a finite approach is going to be more, how do I get the most? How do I get a distribution at the end of the year? I'm not really thinking three to five years out. Sure, I'll hire an innovation officer, 
yeah, yeah, but they're not actually thinking like a business and thinking for the next generation or these great creative young attorneys coming up who don't want to go that path. I wish more older attorneys or seasoned attorneys were thinking more about the long game when you're a business and you're just by default the alternative approach. You have to think in the long game. Plus, it comes naturally, I think, for how we strategize. But we have the money on hand to be able to pivot, to be able to go remote overnight in a level that we needed to so our clients didn't feel that I didn't know it was going to be a crisis that got us to this next level in our strategic plan. We were building it for opportunity to be able to meet whatever came along. Well, it just so happened it was this. But because we're playing the long game, we're independent. We will not take investor money so that we can control our decisions. We design the company to think, okay, we're always thinking three, five, seven years out. I mean, so we don't do distributions at the end of the year. We don't think only for what's now. And so what I meant in the article, and I was feeling very emotional, obviously, when I wrote that, because we're in the middle of this week that's quite trying, but this abrupt disruption is going to force people to accept where the world is going and be ready and create a more nimble infrastructure or die? What will be the status quo after this for law firms? I mean, you cannot preserve what you had anymore. It just doesn't seem in any business. I mean, forget just law firms, but it's almost like I'm going to show my age, but like Blockbuster and Netflix, (laughs) you know, it's like you can't be Blockbuster anymore. And so this awakening, I mean, it's horrid that it came through a global pandemic, but it's a long game that, gosh, I wish, I wish our country had been playing. I wish our, you can just see it everywhere that the value in thinking long-term is just table stakes now, you know, to be able to survive and thrive. We've gotten business this week from being able to do that with a Amlaw 10 firm who couldn't do it. And so we have a very highly sensitive matter going on with remote attorneys across the country because our technology infrastructure was ready. We understand data security. And has it been easy? No, but we're doing it. We did it. And so that kind of thinking is just naturally been more necessary. To say a law firm needs to be nimble sounds silly, but they're going to have to be more nimble. I think about that a lot, and I've been thinking about that a lot over the past couple of weeks, even my little business. So, Sure. Well, all of us are waking up. It sounds like, oh, we had this all figured out. Of course, we had things. I have gray hair, as you can see, that I didn't have a few weeks ago, but we had the capability to figure them out. And that's that thinking out of the box that every company needs. Is somebody driving that? Because you just don't think about it when times are good and you know you're making money. So, Lee, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted more information on Level to Legal, where would they go? Level2Legal.com, our website, that will show you more about our people and our services. I'll give my cell phone because that's what I've been used to doing lately in these um, interviews and in this time of remote craziness. 903-245-9183. I answer pretty much 24-7 right now with everything going on, but I'd be happy to answer questions or point people to other people in the company that know more about very specific privacy and compliance decision-making and strategy to help anyone. Lee, this has just been a fascinating interview about a lot of different topics. I'm going to digest this podcast and think about how we can continue this conversation going forward. That would be great. I appreciate it, Tom. I really do. Thank you. 
If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.